Hello, podcasters. Thanks for joining us today. Today is going to be our final installment for Heart Health Month. You know, all month we've been working on just information providing to you about things you know need to know about uh, protecting that beautiful heart of yours. So today we are going to have Dr. Fran Johnson from the Mercy One Iowa Heart Center coming on to talk about heart failure and what you need to know about that. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Johnson. Thank you very much, Sherry. So I am a board-certified cardiologist who specializes in advanced heart failure and cardiac transplant. I've been doing that all my career and currently see patients in the Mercy One Health System in Des Moines and Iowa City. Very, very, we feel very privileged having you on with all of your experience on the knowledge of heart failure. I guess I'm just going to jump right in because heart failure is, is a big word to a lot of people. It can mean many different things. What does heart failure mean to you as a cardiologist? Well, heart failure is not a disease, first of all. Heart failure is a descriptor. It's a condition that describes any situation in which the heart is unable to pump blood equal to the body's needs under normal conditions. So many different types of heart disease can result in heart failure. Heart failure is also a spectrum. So you can have very mild symptoms that are noticeable only at very high levels of exertion, for example, all the way to severe symptoms of shortness of breath that are notable even at rest. So you mentioned there's many spectrums to heart failure. So we're not just talking about you know, a cardiac arrest event or a heart attack. It's many different types of diagnosis within that, correct? That's correct. The hallmark of heart failure is uh, usually that it's a chronic condition often the result of one of these other kinds of heart events that you describe, such as a heart attack or a sudden cardiac arrest, or even something that a person is born with, a congenital anomaly of the heart that leads to chronic symptoms of being short of breath, fatigued. Uh, Often there is fluid retention causing congestive respiratory symptoms, which is where the term congestive heart failure comes from, and swelling of the hands and feet. But there's a wide variety of symptoms that people can experience. The heart is such a complex system. What, what, um, how serious is heart failure? What are the signs and symptoms of that? Well, heart failure is a very serious diagnosis that indicates a chronic disease that will need ongoing medical and personal attention. Most people will get the diagnosis once their symptoms become bad enough that they are noticing them at rest or low levels of exertion. Typically, that is shortness of breath. Another thing could be profound fatigue. Some people have episodes where they have chest pain or passing out spells. As a a listener, if I'm someone that's not acutely aware of what a chronic disease means, what does chronic disease mean when you talk about that? Chronic is something that is usually slow to start. You may not really appreciate at first that this is 
a disease state or a condition that needs to be cared for, you might think, oh, I just have a cold and I'm coughing and I'm short of breath because of that, or I have the flu, or I'm just getting older. So it's something that gradually comes on and then stays with you for the rest of your life. And so once a person is diagnosed with heart failure, like high blood pressure or diabetes, that's something that needs to be um, attended to for the rest of a person's life. Is it, I had read some information that you had passed along to us that 6.2 million Americans over the age of 20 are living with heart failure. Are many people in denial that they're in heart failure or could be? I think that we are not picking up heart failure early enough. Those estimates of the 6.2 million Americans living with heart failure are mostly patients who have symptoms or have been diagnosed. Uh, It's a very, very prevalent problem and one of the most common reasons for people over the age of 65 to be admitted to hospital. I know heart failure is very a very serious thing. You have you've talked about it being an episode uh, attached to maybe having a heart attack or um, having a, card, a sudden cardiac arrest. What other conditions would bring someone to heart failure at an early age? Patients who have heart failure at an early age, as children, teens, or young adults, will usually have a problem that is what we call congenital or genetic in origin. They're born that way and then develop symptoms that are then diagnosed as they get older or something called myocarditis, which is an inflammation of the heart that is caused by certain viruses typically. My uh, friend just actually, her son just uh, was diagnosed with that. With uh, um, He had no clue. He was just feeling pressure in his chest. And he went to the convenient care and um, was having days of, he had a, a really bad respiratory cold prior, like the week prior to him having these symptoms. And he's only 17. And he actually ended up getting diagnosed with that same diagnosis. And thankfully, you know, he they diagnosed it before something critical could have occurred with that, being beings that he's so young. Is that something he's going to have to deal with for the rest of his life now? Or is this, was that one, was that just because of the virus? Well, it's hard to say if that's the only thing um, that was the problem. We think that sometimes a person who has a susceptibility for their heart to fail is given a double hit for example, by something like a virus that they may encounter. But once someone has weakening and enlargement of the heart related to this, they should treat it for the rest of their lives. So think about it as once injured, always deserving of lifestyle and medication adjustments that reduce the workload on the heart so that it can be as efficient as it can be for as many years as possible. If you have these conditions, are there certain signs and symptoms that you recommend to your patients, okay, you really need to come back in and see a physician for, besides the normal pressure on the chest and and hard to breathe? Are there other signs and symptoms to this? One of the most common signs is, as I said before, fluid retention. That is often swelling in the legs, when it was not present before, 
that can also be bloating in the abdomen, weight gain that seems inappropriate. But mostly it's shortness of breath. Particular types of shortness of breath are worrisome, such as being unable to sleep flat at night without feeling uh, short of breath and needing to prop up on additional pillows or sitting on the edge of the bed. And you, I think you mentioned also a, a dry cough. Why does that occur? So that occurs because of a combination of increased pressure inside the heart and lungs and the retention of fluid. So you have excess fluid in the lungs and also excess pressure. And so these would be a combination effect of seeing one or two or all of those types of things happening if you're going into some type of deeper heart failure? You'd have all of those symptoms? You can have a number of those symptoms. It can vary a lot between individuals. But I think that the most uh, consistent thing is that people feel as though their level of exertion is dropping for no good reason. And so that's another reason why an active lifestyle and a consistently active lifestyle is so important Mm -hmm. so that we can gauge what is appropriate shortness of breath and fatigue and what is not. People who have extraordinarily sedentary lifestyles can have a hard time knowing the difference between being out of shape and having something really wrong. How do you, so how do you diagnose heart failure in, in most of your patients? How do, what type of tests do you do? Mostly uh, the diagnosis is based on a good history, a physical examination of the heart and lungs, a chest X-ray, and an electrocardiogram. You can usually make the diagnosis from those things, and then we'll go on early to do additional testing that usually involves a cardiologist, such as some sort of heart imaging, an echocardiogram to look at the size, shape, and function of the different chambers of the heart and the heart valves is the most common first imaging test. Depending on a patient's age and whether they're a smoker or have high blood pressure and other risk factors for coronary disease, uh, they will also get a stress test to see if there's any limitation of blood flow to the heart from coronary heart disease. And some of those people will also get invasive procedures like heart catheterization that use a small amount of dye and radiography to determine the status of the coronary arteries. So your so your initial assessment would be to to reduce the symptoms. So every treatment's different. You just have to look at what's going on with them. What what types of how do you treat heart failures if there's so many types of heart issues out there? Well, the first thing is you have to determine what is the underlying problem. You can determine that in a percentage of patients. And then in other patients, you never really know what it was that damaged the heart in the first place. If that is the case, it's called idiopathic heart failure. But we try very hard to find the reason 
that the heart failure occurred in the first place and treat that underlying problem, whether that's coronary artery disease that needs a stent or a bypass, whether it's a valve that's leaking and needs to be fixed, or some endocrine problem like a thyroid abnormality. Once that's determined and you've treated any underlying cause, then heart failure usually falls into two categories based on what the heart looks like on an echocardiogram. There's heart failure from a heart that is weak and enlarges. That's called dilated cardiomyopathy. And then there is heart failure caused by thickening and stiffening of the heart so that it can eject well with each beat, but the amount that it ejects is small. And the pressure under which it works is also very high because of this thickening and stiffening. It turns out that with our other chronic diseases, such as diabetes, hypertension, and obesity, the type of heart failure caused by thickening of the heart is becoming more and more prevalent. In fact, it is now probably more prevalent than what we think of as classic heart failure caused by weakening and enlargement of the heart. Unfortunately, there is no magic bullet for people with thick, stiff hearts from multiple other problems such as hypertension, diabetes, and obesity. You have to treat the underlying things and then treat the symptoms with water pills and blood pressure medications. That is completely a problem that we desperately need to face as a society in terms of our overall health and fitness. Definitely. For people, yes, for people who have sort of old-fashioned, weak hearts that have become enlarged from an injury of one sort or another, there are very clear and helpful medication treatment schedules. And there's a a handful of drugs that have been very well studied over the last 40 years that improve survival and help people to live better lives with better exercise tolerance. The foundation of that medical treatment is to start low doses of those drugs and work our way up to the tolerance of the person. All of these will lower blood pressure, And all of these may affect kidney function. So a person typically sees their doctor on a regular basis as they start these medications and hopefully stabilize on them. Equally important is a low-sodium diet, graded exercise, and then strict adherence to when they take their medication and getting adequate uh, rest as well. I think lifestyle is almost more important than anything else in keeping someone on the right path and not having recurrent symptoms and being on kind of a seesaw pattern of good days and bad days. I agree. If we, if we, uh, let's say I'm, I'm overweight, I'm considered obese, which is uh, 30%, over 30% of your body fat. If I'm if I have hypertension, maybe it's because I'm overweight or obese. 
Um, and I start to go into heart failure. You had mentioned that once you go into that, it's it's a forever check-in with your cardiologist. So if it's because of, if the thickening of my, my if my heart is thickening up because of those two things, because of the, my lifestyle, is it something you can reverse or at least, I don't know, avoid having it become worse if you start eating better and create a lifestyle where you do exercise and reduce your hypertension? That's a great question. And um, unfortunately, we don't have a lot of scientific data to give you an answer on that. We do know that weight loss has a lot to do with our insulin resistance. And so if you can achieve weight loss and control of diabetes, you have a good chance of not getting worse. Do particular exercise regimens help reverse the effects? We don't, we don't have good evidence of that right now. So it's just more important to get the message out there to our listeners that, you know, if if you're not eating healthy and you are overweight and you do have hypertension or high blood pressure, to really start, you know, listening to your body and your physicians at your yearly physicals to watch that stuff so you don't have to come to you, correct? <laughs> to, to, uh, correct. <laughs> this, this is actually something that needs to happen at the grade school or preschool level. Mm -hmm. You know, um, cardiovascular disease is something that starts in all of us in probably our teens and just worsens as we get older. And so whether or not we have symptoms is the result of our cumulative activities our entire life. Mm -hmm. And so it's never too early to start um, talking to children about their level of activity and their diet. And we need to build it in. We need to find ways of building activity and good nutrition into our daily life. Absolutely. And how that fits in with our jobs and, and other things. So if you, when you're diagnosing a patient and you, you figure out exacts of what you need to do for them, they're going through treatment. What if it if heart failure worsens despite the treatment options that you're going through, what, what do you do then? Well, I would say that that's the time when the heart failure specialist really comes in. Often people are treated for years with their heart failure and do pretty well, but then when they have symptoms of shortness of breath, uh, fatigue, fluid retention, even with very minimal activity, then there are really only four um, recommendations. The first is palliative care, which treats symptoms but does not prolong life. The second is some sort of mechanical device that supports the circulation. Uh, those are also called ventricular assist devices or VADs, V-A-D. The third is heart transplantation. And the fourth is any experimental treatments that may be available at the academic centers or major medical centers. Can you explain a little bit about the, you said the LVADs, the ventricular assisted devices? What, what actually is that? So mechanical support of the circulation is something that we have been working on for a long, long time 
since um, really the heart-lung machine that was used in the early 1950s to make cardiac surgery successful. And that has evolved over time to create devices that are better and better at supporting a person as their heart fails and is no longer able to keep up with the body's needs. So a ventricular assist device refers to the ventricle or the main pumping chamber that it assists. And the left ventricle is the main pumping chamber, the workhorse, so to speak, of the heart that pumps blood out to the rest of the body. We tried replacing entire hearts with mechanical devices, but it turns out that that was not as successful as just putting a booster pump kind of assisting pump in direct line with this left ventricle. So these are called LVADs, L-V-A-D for left ventricular assist device. And the current generation of LVADs is pretty small. They're a little smaller than a hockey puck, and they're put in line with the ventricle. Blood flows through the heart in its normal path, and then it goes into that pump, and it's boosted and returned to the aorta, which is the largest artery in the body, just above the heart, where it then circulates everywhere else. There's a lot of different devices that we can use for temporary support. There's devices that can also help out the lungs, but these LVADs are usually referring to pumps that are very durable. They can be there for years, and they can either support someone while they wait for a heart transplant, or they can be implanted as an alternative to transplant in someone who may not be able to undergo a transplant for one reason or another. Yeah, I'm just I'm just the amaze the amazement I have on technology and how it can create better life for you. These LVADs what what an amazing tool to use for heart failure for your patients. Well, in the last 20 years, there have been some incremental improvements in medical therapy, but really the engineering improvements in left ventricular assist devices and the subsequent improvement in their performance has far outstripped any medical uh, innovations of the last 20 years. And so I've been very excited to work with these devices and to help people prolong their life with them. Definitely. I mean, the improvement, I mean, it's just daily improvement or yearly improvement. I remember when my my grandfather 30 years ago had a triple bypass surgery and uh, it seems like so much has changed in 30 years in, in the world of heart and what you guys can do to help patients that have heart disease. Yes. I think that Heart transplant has been a great therapy for many years for people who need heart replacement, but that is something that is pretty limited because you need a donor, and we want to select people who can benefit from the durability of a heart transplant. In other words, people who are expected to live 10 years or more if it were not for their heart disease, 
And you well know that there's lots and lots of people that are in their 60s and 70s who might have 10 or 15 more good years but are dying from their heart disease who could benefit from a mechanical device. So if heart transplant isn't an option and they have the LVAD, what is it, what's their life like with one of those? Well, um, life with an LVAD is not as limited as you might imagine. The primary limitations are related to carrying equipment and a power supply. Because the big technological challenge that we have been working to overcome is battery power and being able to fully implant batteries as opposed to having battery power outside the body. Currently, an LVAD pump itself is fully implanted in the chest with a cardiac surgery. The surgery time and incision size is much like other cardiac surgeries. But what's unique to the LVAD is that you have a single small diameter braided power cable that's covered and exits the abdomen. And it connects to something we call a controller. It's about the size of a cell phone, but thicker, that a person carries on their belt or in a fanny pack. And then this controller contains firmware that runs the pump. It has a little screen that reports the pump parameters as it runs and any alarms for the patient. And it's connected to two rechargeable lithium batteries that can be carried in vest pockets or other clothing such as a tactical vest is often um, popular. So this presence of a cable exiting the body means that you have to put a clean bandage over the site and keep it covered at all times. So you can't swim in a pool or completely submerge in water, but there are kits that will allow you to shower, um, and that's safe and effective. You need to carry some backup batteries and a spare controller with you at all times, and that's usually carried in a bag that's about the size of a large lunchbox. So people can do much, pretty much anything. Um, we do not recommend contact sports, but uh, people who have their LVADs, if they're fully clothed, most people don't notice that they have an LVAD as they're going about their daily activities. And they usually gradually regain their health and their exercise capacity and can usually return to work or leisure activities like airline travel, dancing, even hunting and fishing. Wow, that's great. So how is Mercy One improving heart failure care? Well, I think that um, my personal opinion <laughs> is that patients, often have a hard time accessing uh, care close to home. And when they don't feel well, it's hard to go long distances to see, for example, a heart failure specialist. And so we started by increasing the number of heart failure specialists that we had available by starting the left ventricular assist device program at Mercy Medical Center in the downtown campus. We now have five heart transplant specialists that work there and help 
with the implants along with two surgeons, but we've also outreached to other areas like Fort Dodge, Knoxville, Ottumwa, West Des Moines, Carroll, and Iowa City. So, so far, we've implanted LVADs in 51 people. That's translated into over 45,000 days of life extension so far, and six of our patients became well enough to be considered for transplantation. So four have been transplanted and two remain on the waiting list. That is fantastic. I mean, that that's fantastic. You know, 20 years ago, this would have never, never been a part of a conversation. And the fact that you're the leading, you know, you're one of the leading experts in this doing this. We are very fortunate to have you in Iowa. Well, thank you. But I think that it's still, that effort still doesn't address the fact that there are considerable health outcome disparities when it comes to heart failure. Uh, people who are older, uh, who are in more rural areas, or have marginal health insurance and have lower income, don't do as well. And we understand that. So one of our more recent initiatives has been to try to work with some of the outlying areas to bring telemedicine to heart failure care so that people can be evaluated closer to home and get a treatment plan together. Uh, This involves a nurse in a hometown clinic setting to set up a special camera and a screen so that the patient and the physician can interact in real time together and see each other and hear each other. And then the nurse will use a special electronic stethoscope uh, that the doctor can hear with uh, to assess the patient through the examination portion. And then we come up with a care plan. And I'm really excited about this. I'm very excited to outreach um, into eastern Iowa with this. And my colleagues in Des Moines have already started this at Carroll and Ottumwa. And we hope that this can eliminate some of those health disparities that we're seeing. And what a fantastic way to reach out to those, like you said, who cannot come in uh, because of disparities or they just don't have a write-in or they don't have the insurance. I think it's a fast, a, a fantastic way to reach our patients. It's very cutting edge. And I, I think it's the wave of the future. I think we'll see a lot more of this kind of stuff for our patients so we can reach the ones that need it. I hope so. In closing, I guess, you know, I I just want to thank you for bringing this awareness. February is Heart Health Month, and we want to make sure that our our podcasters um, are well aware of the different things that are out there. And we appreciate you coming on this podcast today to share your experience with heart failure and talking about the opportunities that are out there for patients to get better and and, uh, be checked if they do have heart failure. Is there anything like that you'd like to uh, end with, doctor? I would just encourage people every day to get out, be active, mind their nutrition, and make sure that they do have a doctor that they check in with on a regular basis. Well, thank you, Dr. Johnson. We appreciate you taking the time today. And again, we appreciate uh, sharing your, your knowledge and expertise with our listeners. Well, thank you so much for having me, Sherry. 
All right, podcasters, we're going to close shop today and just wanted to thank you so much for listening to our podcast today with Dr. Fran Johnson, a cardiologist from Mercy One's Iowa Heart Center. Appreciate her having or having her on our show today. And remember, if you want to give us some feedback on today's show or any of the shows that we've done, we'd love to hear from you. Our, you can find us at mercyone.org slash podcast. I'm going to say that again, mercyone.org slash podcast. You can submit some feedback. We'd love to hear from you. Or you can find us and email us at podcast at mercyhealth.com. So again, thank you for listening. We appreciate you very much. And as always, live your best life. <laughs>